Hello, good evening. Welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. This evening we're going to be speaking about the aftermath of the local elections, a disastrous night that it was for the Labour Party in most parts of the country, with one or two notable exceptions. And it's hardly surprising that the Labour Party did so badly because the upper echelons of the party have spent years attacking their own members, uh, undermining the leader of the party that brought Labour the biggest increase in vote share since 1945, and of course ignoring the Brexit vote. So an electoral meltdown, particularly in the Hartlepool by-election, which I think voted to leave the European Union by something like 70% to 30%, and Labour installed a strong Remain, pro-Remain candidate. Uh, that clearly was never going to play very well with local people there. And they fought a very lacklustre uh, campaign, didn't have very much to say at all, didn't offer any, I don't think, hope for, for, for local people. And I think where there was some uh, uh, change to that, where there was some uh, deviation from the pattern of defeat for the Labour Party was where there was a very sort of strong local uh, emphasis, uh, you know, in Greater Manchester, in Liverpool, uh, even in Wales, actually, where Labour didn't do too badly. But overall, it was a very, very bad night for the Labour Party and a bad night for the country because clearly the Conservatives are, are certainly not going to uh, do very much for working class communities, even though they've won a lot of red wall seats. And I think for me, the big reason why so many uh, seats have fallen to the Conservative Party is that people aren't particularly enamoured necessarily with uh, Boris Johnson's stories. It's just that they don't really have any alternative now. And that's where I think it's very important that we in the uh, resist movement uh, look to try and uh, build, uh, you know, an alternative uh, platform that people can resist in local communities to try and you know, bring about uh, improvements outside of the party political shenanigans. But I've got Lizzie Fletcher with me uh, this evening. Are you there, Lizzie? Hiya. So we're going to be we're going to be hi, Lizzie. We're going to be having a, a chit chat about the elections and what the future might hold for alternative parties on the left to uh, the Labour Party, uh, the trade unionists and socialist coalition uh, field. That I think is something in the order of three hundred odd candidates in this election. Uh, Tusk, as it's known for short, of course, was established initially by Bob Crow. Uh, back in about 2010, I think it was, and uh, they ceased operations when Jeremy was elected as leader and have sort of started to regroup now and uh, are sort of building up a base. But, I mean, up until then, and they, they were making some significant progress, hadn't really broken through particularly, but were building up a base. And I think at the uh, last election that they fought in 2015 were the sixth biggest party in the country. Uh, in terms of the votes that they, they secured. Still a long way to go, but uh, nevertheless, making making some inroads. And I think there is some prospects now for an, al an alternative, uh, building an alternative, because we've got two establishment parties who are, um, you know, the flip side of, of, of the same coin, really. So, uh, Lizzie, what's your take on the local elections and, uh, and the seat tally for the Tories and, uh, and the Labour Party? I think you've got some of the statistics there haven't you, for the numbers of seats that Labour lost and the ones that the Tories gained. I do. Um, we have the Conservatives added 235 seats. The Lib Dems added uh the Lib Dems added seven and the Green added 88. So wow. uh, <clears throat> Labour lost 326 seats. So my take on the local elections is first and foremost that nobody, hardly anybody, votes. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at the voter turnout of approximately 40% uh, during this election and... Um, of those 40%, I would say at least half of those people don't inform themselves of the political positions of any parties or candidates before they they go to vote. They just go to vote because they feel it's their duty or responsibility to go to vote, so they go and vote. So that takes it down to perhaps 20% of the electorate mm. determining our future. 
Yeah, I mean, that's how it was. Thus, to to some extent, though, I suppose, in local elections, the turnout has never been uh, as high as it's been in the general election. But I think what we've seen the pattern over more recent years or decades has been a a very sharp decline in participation. And I think, for me, I don't know what you think, Lucy. Uh, one of the main reasons for that is that, well, two things really. I think one is that that powers have been taken away from local government. And uh, so their, their room for manoeuvre is substantially restricted, although there are things, and we'll perhaps get into that in a little bit, we've spoken about it previously on the programme, of what local authorities uh, can do. But certainly, the, the, you know, the powers have been uh, taken away uh, from local authorities. And of course, on this point uh, that I was making earlier about the fact that, you know, there's not no real difference between the parties. And, uh, you know, the Labour, the Labour offer essentially is vote for us and we'll manage the Tory cuts better than the, the Tories will, which isn't exactly a great way to encourage people to go to the polls. And I think if you give people a reason to vote, people will turn out. I mean, certainly when I first stood for election, um, I didn't get in actually the first time I stood for, at a local election this was, it was back in 1979, as a young 22-year-old, uh, I think I was in May that year, uh, stood for the local authority. Um, but the participation was substantially high, and it continued to be substantial. I mean, it was around 50-odd percent. I mean, it's still obviously nowhere near as much as it should be, but a lot higher than what we see now in local elections, where often it's 30 uh, percent if you're lucky. I mean, and often it's uh, – I mean, there are variations to that, of course, uh, where the participation is somewhat higher. But in, in some uh, cases, you know, it's as low as 20, even into the teens and 10 percent turnout, you know. So it's a real sort of indictment, I think, of our democracy, isn't it, when you've got participation levels that low. And that's not a fault, in my opinion, in terms of the lack of interest from the electorate. It's just that I think a lot of people feel that it's pretty irrelevant to their lives. What, what do you think, Lizzie? Yeah, I think they feel that it's uh, irrelevant to their lives. We're also conditioned to um, think that it's nothing to do with us. We're, we're, we're taught almost, that uh, we have no sway, we have no influence over what's going to happen politically, yet every day our lives are changed dramatically due to politics. We don't educate ourselves on it and we don't educate the general population on, on politics. I mean, how many people know what their councils are responsible for? Um, you, you can see by the fact that so many, even myself, I, I find it so difficult to not talk about the national situation when we should be talking about the local situation in, mm. in a local election. Apart from mm. Hartlepool, all the elections were local elections. Yeah, uh, well, somebody... local and, 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 uh, and national, I suppose, in terms of Scot Scotland and Wales, this case. Uh, yes, uh, yes, uh, sorry, uh, yes. Scottish Parliament and... Uh, you know, the Welsh Assembly. But uh, but yeah, I mean, essentially they were kind of regional uh, in that sense. They weren't the, the entire UK wide, that, that is uh, for sure. Yes, and uh, I think that uh, so many people who did vote, um, voted with, with national politics in mind. So uh, a lot of people I know voted against Labour mm. because of Jeremy Corbyn having the whip withdrawn. A former mm. leader of the Labour Party, you know, was was Blair, did, did Blair have the whip removed after leading us into a, 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 a war that was built on yeah, lies? Yeah, legal war, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, no, he wasn't. He was given all the respect of, of a head of government. And uh, to the way that they have treated uh, Jeremy Corbyn is, is just so despicable that... Everybody who does inform themselves on politics and does go and actually vote, I think that's it's borne out by the numbers, isn't it? That uh, everybody was showing their disappointment with Labour nationally. I think there was a phenomenon that I've never witnessed before, really, because I think there's tended to be, you know, party loyalty in that sense from from Labour supporters. No, no, I don't want to necessarily overstate it, but I'd never seen, even in you know, even in Blair's time uh, after the Iraq War, people in in the numbers that I was seeing, albeit anecdotally on social media and so on, but it does give you a, a bit of a flavour. Long-standing Labour Party uh, 
members, supporters, people who'd been in the party for many, many years, perhaps had left now, but even they were saying they weren't going to vote for the party in protest. They, I, well, some were actually voting, well, they're not voting, but or, or indeed voting for other candidates. It's, it's quite, you know, phenomenal. I, I've never seen that before. I don't know if, if you can recall a time where there was no, that level I... of resentment against the, the party from its own supporters. I, I can't. I can, I can only draw attention to the uh, on uh, on foot the protests against Blair's Iraq War. Yes, um, of course, yeah. That, that took place out in the communities, um, mm. and yes, we're online now. All of us, almost all of us, are online now. So of course, uh, we educate ourselves a lot easier now it's mm. a lot easier to mm. educate ourselves about the situation and about the truth of the situation mm. and um but the thing is if you don't go online if you don't get your news online if you just get your news from the tv or the newspapers you have a totally different narrative presented to you so you know it you know the NHS. Um, what was it? Labour said that we're going to save the NHS. Well, that bears no relation to yeah, no, absolutely. Local I, elections. I, I remember commenting on that actually. I can't remember. It was somebody made some pious remark, uh, Labour frontbencher, about the National Health Service and uh, in relation to these local elections. I mean, it's absurd. They've got no powers uh, at all. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. well, I say no powers. I mean. There are some limited powers where uh, scrutiny commissions or committees on local authorities uh, can call in certain decisions of the yeah. local uh, health organisations, but they've but no power of veto. No, no, exactly. Right. They, well, they've no power they're of veto. Power and they're not, they don't hold the purse strings anyway. All they can do is, is scrutinise those de de those decisions. And, and frankly, but I don't think cuts, often they go... Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, some of the, you know, the changes which should be enforced through in... In the National Health Service. So let's remember, of course, that it was a Labour government that you know brought in you know private health care, uh, yeah. that expanded the private finance initiative, some sort of gimmicky yeah. smart way that Gordon Brown thought he could get investment into uh, public infrastructure without it showing on the bottom line. It's a ridiculous proposition anyway. He was obsessed with the so-called public sector borrowing requirement, but the whole notion of of government borrowing is a misnomer anyway, because you know yeah. most of it, or a substantial part of it, of the, of the borrowing comes from the Bank of England anyway. I mean, the Britain. I mean, is again another point that I keep banging on about. Britain as a currency, a sovereign has its own sovereign currency as a currency issuing nation. The government creates the money, as it were. So money is no object. We can never run out of money, uh, and so there is no justification for the uh, austerity measures that we've seen. The only barrier to uh, expending, as it were, in, in, into the economy is the capacity of the economy. If, if you spend uh, up to that capacity, and there is spare capacity at the moment in the economy, massive spare capacity yeah. with unemployed workers, underemployed workers, people on zero contracts, part-time work, et cetera, a massive requirement for things that need to be done, much of which could and indeed should be being done by local authorities in relation to infrastructure improvements also in relation to you know to to uh, services public services have been as we know decimated social care is a big big issue with an aging population now many people you know encouraged perhaps to buy their house for the first time by the council house uh, you know go into debt you know for that and uh, may have got it at a big discount certainly but then when they get into later life if they if they experience ill health frailty you know to sell the house to be able to pay for their care. I mean, it's a, dis it's a disgraceful state of affairs. None of what is 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 uh, is, is needed, uh, for, you know, for the health of the economy. We we were sold a, a lie by the Blair administration, starting with John Major, where they started to you know talk about increasing the the pension, equalising the pension age was, was yes. the idea, and that was to kind of bring women up. So it wasn't about equalising it so that men could retire early. It was basically so women would have to retire later, and it was kind of basically this is all about equality. And then Labour made it even worse by increasing the, you know, the retirement age uh, to 66 and then to 67. I think my kids, I think uh, by the time they get to retire, unless we can you know, bring about a change uh, in government policy on this, won't be able to retire until they're 68. Uh, this is absolutely dis disgraceful. And of course, we've seen uh, you know, local government pension schemes under, under the cost, etc., and uh, Talking about um, undermining the, you know, the the, the, the pensions that uh, 
public sector workers enjoy. I mean, there's so many things which are which are wrong, but there are things obviously that local authorities uh, can be doing at, at a local level using the powers that they have at their disposal, uh, which they're not they're not doing. And I'd love to see a time where we saw you know we could return to the days of uh, municipal socialism. I often talk about Clay Cross, the Clay Cross Rent Rebels, just up the road from where I live in Derby, in northeast Derbyshire, and uh, two of Dennis Skinner's brothers, uh, two you know good good friends of mine actually were. Uh, uh, on the Claycross uh, Council. Uh, they took on the government. They refused to implement the so-called fair rent uh, legislation that, that Ted Heath brought in to force up council rents. But it wasn't just that. I mean, when you actually look at the services that they were providing at a local level, as I say, in many ways, it was a bit easier for local authorities to be innovative in those days. But you know, it's, it's not impossible today. But they were doing incredible things. You know, I mean, well before the uh, one of the good things that the new Labour government did to bring in the free uh, TV licences for, for pensioners, they were providing that back in uh, the early 1970s, about 1970, 71. Clay Cross uh, had brought that uh, system into uh, being and a range of other excellent social uh, policies that made a real beneficial difference to local people because they took the role seriously of yeah. being a representative. They recognised that it was a political role they were being elected to represent the community, not to represent the council, not to be a spokesperson for the council, but to be a representative no, right. for a spokesperson for the people, to speak power and truth to, to power, as it were, and to move the bureaucracy to serve the interests of, of the public. And there's lots of other good examples. I mean, Dobbs County Council uh, under David Bookbinder, and then obviously the places like the Greater London Council under Ken Livingstone and Lambeth under... Um, uh, Ted Knight and uh, Liverpool with uh, Derek Hatton and so on. There's lots of examples up and down the country. Even even David Blunkett back in those days was seen as a bit of a of a bit of a lefty, <laughs> believe it or not, before he became an icon of of New Labour. But you know, local government was a real bulwark against Thatcherism in the 1980s. And where is that fight now? I mean, well, I don't see it. No, it's been dissipated. Um, it, it's been a controlled reaction to everything, hasn't it? Uh, governed by the narrative that's put out by mainstream media. We are all consumers now, and th that's very difficult to get away from. We've grown. We've all grown up with having our um, our rubbish picked up outside of our door. We've grown yeah. up with um, with. If we want something delivered or picked up, we, we can get that service done. You know, we, we've all come to be extremely entitled, haven't mm. we? And I think that local politics, until you, until you reach the bottom where there are no public services left, which I think it's Northampton have already gone broke, haven't they? A while ago, yeah, that's right. Council Council run out of money, yeah. yeah they, they were externalising everything left, right, and centre because the, you know, the, the the discipline of the of the thrusting private sector, of course, was going to bring great efficiencies for the uh, yes. council taxpayers of Northampton. And of course, it was. And most so. most councils have been were forced, um, or forced, or blackmailed, or bribed into giving up their housing portfolios. Many did. Uh, I mean, so, so, some fought back against did, that yeah. and didn't, and didn't, and didn't. But, but there was a lot of large-scale, what, what they called large-scale voluntary transfers to yeah. housing associations, and housing associations became a totally different entity to what they previously were. I mean, when I first started getting interested in in politics, I don't know about you, Lizzie. I mean, housing associations were a kind of a, a niche, sort of nice value added to the public sort of housing sector, as it were. And, um, you know, there are quite a few local housing associations, you know, providing a particular niche um, provision yes. of, of housing. But they've become yes. massive entities now. They've merged and, you know, the chief executives are on, like, ridiculously uh, extravagant uh, salaries and uh, they've become yeah. anonymous. They're not local anymore very often. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 just, it's actually left people, uh, you know, it's, not, it's left a lot of tenants being very ill-served by this, by this new approach. And, of course, many, many people uh, being forced into the private rented sector who they can't, you know, there's no council houses to be, to be had. It's, it's very difficult to get a council house. Council houses have been residualized by yeah. Margaret Thatcher and stigmatized. And, and, and very few had been built. Uh, you have to have massive housing need now to, to qualify for a 
a council house, or even for that matter, because they have joint housing registers in, in most local authority areas now, uh, for a housing association uh, property. So lots of people, working class people, even people on relatively uh, you know, um, uh, lucrative salaries forced into the private sector can't afford then to, if they want to, if they aspire to buy their own home, uh, they yeah. can't afford to do so because they're paying so much money, so much of their sort of disposable income in rent. And, yeah, and there's well, no security of tenure. I mean, a six month, no. you're, everybody's on an assured short hold tenancy. Six That's the tenancy. default position. Yes. And, uh, you know, so you can be out on your ear with, with no, you don't have to give a justification saying you're out, mate, you know, we want the house back. Yes. I mean, it's a yes. shocking state of affairs, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and that's one of the things that uh, district councils uh, could, could rectify, could change. But only if they get the funding from central government uh, and the rules changed. Uh, well, I mean, I think there's been a change in the rules, you know, Lizzie, because, I mean, the yes, uh, the government has, did yeah. uh, lift the cap on the housing revenue account in local authorities. One of the things I've been banging on about saying that local authorities really could now address the housing crisis in their own localities over time. It's not something you can necessarily do immediately, um, at the, uh, at the, you know, well, and, their uh, finger, they, as it were. But. They are where people, where, where councils have retained their housing portfolio. They, yeah. well... I don't know about all, but I know where I'm from, Stroud, they yeah. are building new council houses now. I think a lot of local authorities are now building, I mean, but nowhere near enough. There should be a massive renaissance. And as I say, there is no impediment. The, the only thing that I think some local authorities or many are perhaps are nervous about is that it will attract the right to buy eventually, but but not for, for a good number of years. I think if you build a property or indeed acquire property, because, you know, it's not just about building necessarily. Local authorities have got the powers to acquire properties off the open market. So well, they could address it. the housing crisis in their localities if there was political will to do so. That's yes. what's lacking. There is no political will, as far as I can tell. They are days of municipal socialism. I mean, can you imagine the, the Skinners uh, and people like yes. John Dunn, uh, my mate John Dunn, the uh, Derbyshire miner who was uh, one of the Claycross uh, rent rebels, the second 11, because they barred them all, you know, when they refused the surcharge them and kicked them out of office and then they had to elect a new council. Uh, I'm going into ancient history now, I know, but it just gives you a feel for the kind of the, 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 the real kind of uh, determination of councillors back then. And this is when 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 John Dunn came in and they continued to refuse to implement the, the Tory uh, uh, policy. Uh, yeah. That's the sort of approach, I think, that um, we, 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 we need today. I mean, if you can well, imagine if you've got people like John Dunn and that, with those powers at their disposal now on a local authority, they'd be, they'd be addressing these housing crises that they, that they see in their local area, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. Yes, and and why aren't they? Because they're they're, you know, they're parts of the machine, aren't they? They're parts. Nobody gets, you know, like the old person, the old person who did that councillor, who was that councillor, retires, and the new mm. councillor is shuffled shuffles along the bench, and it's their turn to be the councillor. So there's no. There's no looking for new talent. There's no um, giving voice, giving people, enabling people to use their own voice. And all the brilliant people that have got such fantastic, innovative ideas about mm. how we can tackle all these issues are not given a chance. You know, like I stood for the TUSC locally and resist. Mm. And, mm. Um, you know, I just wanted people to be – we did have – an idea that we would just make people realize perhaps that um, we don't have to implement these cuts that we can do something different that we that we can we can talk back to the government nobody's talking back to the government nobody's standing up for their communities in fact one of the uh i won't say it's an advert for for the local elections but it it said that um uh, it said that how can you um, come along and vote and you can change things um, if you become a candidate to represent um, to represent the district council? Well, you're not representing the district council, are you? You're representing your community in the district council. But even that, you know, people couldn't fathom it. So mm. nobody's educated on what our local councils do. Nobody's uh, thinking that they're representing Labour 
to the people in their community. Well, that's all arse about face, isn't it? It is. I agree. <laughs> um, One of the things I did. Uh, oh, go on. Sorry, Lizzie. Go, go. Oh, no, that's that's all right. I was off on a rant then. <laughs> oh, that's all right, mate. Let's. I've had a bit of a rant today myself, so it's, <laughs> it's quite good to get have a rant. Uh, get get things off your chest. I was just thinking back to when I was a councillor. We we embarked on a, a, a what we call the neighbourhood agenda, where we were giving powers to local communities and devolving budgets, and uh, I think trying to elevate the status of local councillors to being the kind of local community elected community champions as it were so that yes. they could they could then in consultation with their local communities um yeah. have a budget at their disposal to say rather than having to go through the you know the bureaucracy of the council as it were they can make a decision yeah. through consultation with local people saying well we have this budget available here. it was you know it wasn't a huge budget so and i wanted to kind of build build it up as it were over, over time uh, that was going incredibly well, you know, and um, were it not for, you know, the unpopularity, I think, of Gordon Brown, and we also had uh, some of our own little local difficulties where we got a few people defecting, believe it or not, to, I won't bore you with the detail of it. So <laughs> so we ended up losing control of the council, but it's a real shame. It's a, one of my biggest regrets, to be honest with you, in, in my time as an elected member when I was leader of the council, because we, we really were, you know, even with all those restrictions that were put on, local authorities under well actually you know legacy of thatcher and continued under uh, blair and uh, brown or, albeit with some additional resources which to be fair which they did make available but nowhere near enough still but but they did make more resources available so we weren't necessarily so much into the uh, uh, the cuts agenda but we it was frustrating still in terms of the limited powers the limited uh, ability to maneuver that uh, we uh, had to go, for example, for any capital projects, cap in hand to ministers and civil servants in Whitehall to yeah, get when it's, uh, when the it's actually the money is produced locally. So well, I mean, the one money of the things is I've produced said that, locally and fed up to government for well, them to, well, to absolutely. I mean, portion money out back out. Well, and, and it's a it's a kind of it's an ask about the face the it way you're going on with things. Because yeah. I mean, uh, what what happens on the continent? Um, for example, uh, I know this because when I was uh, when when Ed Miliband sacked me in uh, 2013, I, I, I got a seat on the Select Committee, the Communities and Local Government Select Committee, and we did a uh, we did a uh, a study looking at uh, fiscal devolution essentially, um, and uh, we we looked at an example in in France and uh, spoke to some people there, and uh, we had a nice trip over there. <laughs> it wasn't a junket; it was it was a fact finding. <laughs> It was a fact-finding uh, um, tour, as it were, but um, but a very agreeable place to go, I've got to say. But um, what I found really inspiring, actually, about their system was that they were able at a local, and I think this is across the piece in you know in the, in the continent, they were able to determine big so big big sort of uh, infrastructure projects. They were able to issue local council bonds, as it were, and sell those bonds to raise the finance without having to go to get permission for that to to central government and uh, i remember i was uh, wanting to uh, transform the public transport system in derby and uh, we we had to apply for that through what was called the transport innovation fund and i, I was keen to put a tram system in bear in mind that we got bombardier based in derby the you know the last the country's last surviving train yeah. manufacturer and uh, they make, um, I mean, they're, in, they're a global company, but, but they make uh, trams, albeit not in, not in Derby, they are made on the continent. But anyway, but it, but it was a tram, tram making outfit and, you know, potentially they could have transferred some of the uh, construction over to Derby. But we were told that we couldn't, we couldn't uh, buy civil servants, that we weren't allowed to put in for a tram system because they said it wouldn't meet their value for money test, whatever that was. Uh, and so we, we, you know, we had to, to look at uh, another approach. But at the same time, because I, I got some of the guys in from Bombardier, uh, from the local company, the, the, the local chairman and uh, senior, senior bods. And um, I was a bit like a kid in a, in a toy shop, you know, because they got these brochures and was looking through thinking, bloody hell, that would be great. We could really have that in Derby. And they were fairly pessimistic. They said, I don't think they'll, they'll – and they were right. They, you know, they knew really yeah. the government government wouldn't uh, let us do that but the point i was going to make is that they were telling me when we were having this conversation that they just had a um uh, an approach from 
I think it was the mayor of uh, Montpellier. And uh, he wanted to put in a tram system. And he was able to just do that. have the a power <laughs> to just simply raise the finance and implement it. And we had a meeting with Rosie Winterton when she was a transport secretary. She came to Derby uh, and uh, we spoke to her about this transport innovation funding thing, because this was about, I don't know if you remember it, Lizzie, but they were insisting that in order for councils to draw down this transport innovation fund, they'd have to introduce congestion charging. And we'd modeled it all and, you know, we'd worked it out and, uh, and so on. But um, without boring you with the detail of that, what they said, though, the civil service said it would take four years to before they could, you know, to evaluate it before we could get a spade in the ground. Yeah. And in that four year time, that that mayor in, in Montpellier had actually um, Built made it the decision. And was running it. Yeah, made the decision. Yeah. <laughs> put out the contracts, you know, raised the finance, got the work done and had it up and running in less yeah. than that time. Yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating. Yeah. And, and I think. Um, you know, well, it's about like controlling the narrative, isn't it? And, yes, indeed. And control I mean, indeed. both nationally and la and locally. You know, uh, so how can we bust out of that? Well, we're not going to bust out of it by uh, by everybody voting uh, in a in a national frame of mind at local elections. I was very upset to find that one of our local um, activists in community she she did such a lot in the community during the pandemic and um, so unfortunately she stood for the Labour Party at the local elections so she yeah. got completely wiped out by the Greens who who were more in favour with the people in the locality <laughs> I'm not saying that the green candidate didn't doesn't do anything for the local community. They do, but this particular woman had, had done so much that she really should have been a voice on our on our district council. Yet she wasn't because of a national issue with the narrative surrounding Labour and Con, you know, Labour yeah, and Conservative. Yeah. So we we've got we don't we've got to educate ourselves on the need to vote. The fact that nothing will change. You know, if if our vote meant nothing meant nothing, why are they trying to stop us voting all the time? What about voter ID? You know, the well, Queen's speech. Yeah. Voter ID. Well, you're right. I mean, yes, indeed. I was going to come on to that actually. I mean, that that is uh, it's straight out of the Republican playbook in the United States of America that. Well, They've how to disenfranchise the 30 voting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. I mean, and uh, they, uh, they, they want to keep people disillusioned with yes. politics and feeling that there's nothing that they can do, that they're all as bad as one another. And frankly, as we've said earlier, the mainstream parties are all as bad as one another by <laughs> and large. But, yes. but uh, in a democratic system, you know, we have the opportunity... Uh, and it's through, you know, raising political consciousness, political education, encouraging people to recognise the strength that's in their own hands. Um, yeah. You know, that new, new, a new, new, uh, you know, working class leaders, <clears throat> you know, can break through and, and and start to to make a difference. But I think, the, you know, the key thing is kind of putting the these people that hold these powers, uh, holding them to scrutiny, holding them to account, <clears throat> and. Um, making it clear that, you know, what they're doing is unacceptable and there is an alternative. Uh, but we need to build a mass movement to, to I was just that. going to um, just going to say that, that, that without people, without a grassroots movement, I don't think that politics to, to most people is, is just not in their lives. It's just mm. not in their lives. I would say, well, it's, it shows the electorate is 50% 50, 50 tops of of the uh, of the people voting so mm. the other 50 60 70% of people in this country think that politics have nothing has nothing to do with their lives okay so let's accept that fact and um but grassroots movements 
including Extinction Rebellion, Resistance, the uh, Northern Independence Party, you know, all these movements that have uh, the TUSC, which is a coalition of individuals and parties and um, trade unions. You know, we have to give voice to each individual person, don't we? And we all have talents. Every voice is valid. Your voice is just as valid as as um, Boris Johnson's, isn't it? So, uh, uh, absolutely. You know, and I think it, you know, coming back to the point about giving people a reason to vote. If you remember the Scottish independence referendum, there was a huge turnout there because yeah. people thought they could really make a difference. I mean, similar with the kind of Brexit uh, referendum as well. But in Scotland, I mean, in some areas, you know, it was over 90% participation. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Well, I think with so I think Brexit, it, it, it was 78% here, which is, yeah. you know. So it shows high. you, though, I think if, 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 if you give people a uh, uh, a good enough reason to vote, then, you know, they will, they will do so. I mean, yeah. and going back into the, you know, into the 40s and, and 50s and 60s, the turnout at general elections was was always in the high seventy percent, you know, getting around eighty percent, you know, because I think there was a real difference then between the parties. Yeah, uh, Labour, uh, you yeah, know, that's didn't offer a thing. very clear alternative. No, that's right. And Labour now, uh, I think Jeremy Corbyn was an aberration of nature. Mm. You know, the, mm. the that will never be allowed again for the people to realise. So many people during Jeremy Corbyn's leadership um, realised their own power and their own strengths and they were enabled so many people were enabled to take part in politics the amount of groups that contributed to the policies policy making of the labor party in that time you know ordinary people who wouldn't otherwise have had their voice heard at all were heard during that time and that's what they wanted to shut down was was the people realizing the strengths and you know oh we can't do anything about it well actually yes you can and as soon as you mm. realize that they got they got very scared so grassroots movements is is where it's at isn't it so whatever it definitely is i think yeah. it is and uh, and i think that's true Across the world, actually, I mean that's what. And well, that you know, was we've another got thing: proportional representation. You know. Yeah, I think was, that was one of the questions, wasn't it, that people wanted us to just uh, have a yeah, word to about tonight. There was what there was uh, something to be said for uh, removing all the party tags at local elections because you're really not voting for the party of preference; you're voting for the person of preference, aren't you? In local elections. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I mean, I, I think for me, uh, I think that there is a case for having a, a, a party. I think we need better caliber candidates, um, <laughs> obviously. Uh, we need a, a, a better political offer from political parties at a local level as well as a national level. But, uh, but, but my worry is, I know a lot of people do say that about. Uh, you know, voting for the individual. Yeah, there is some merit in that. However, when you get into the council, in order to make decisions, you have to gain a majority. And, and you know, if you haven't got a coherent political offer, a coherent political strategy, you then just become fodder for the uh, for the bureaucrats. And yeah, to be honest with you, even with, even with, a, you know, political parties, uh, you know, because of the calibre of the candidates often is is not up to much and because the political offer uh, leaves a lot to be desired um, and because they don't really set out a political strategy to use the powers that they have at their disposal, most local authorities, if not all of them, are essentially run by the bureaucrats and not by the elected politicians. Yeah. And, and uh, that's not the Sorry, right way yeah. to go. No, I was going to say, that's just not the right way to go. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, we should be there to represent the people and to steer the bureaucracy to represent, like, you know, the municipal socialists that I mentioned previously used the, the power of the local authority to improve the lot for, for local people. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah and, and they use those, you know, they use the power of the local authority to do it for that end, you know. And There's a great that story that David Bookbinder uh, um, tells when he was the leader of 
Derbyshire County Council, Labour came back to power in 1981 after losing the council in 1977. And uh, Bucky was, uh, you know, progressive socialist, lefty, uh, municipal sort of socialist uh, iconic figure in these parts. And um, he got all the, all the officers were very nervous about this firebrand left winger coming to, to power. And Labour won by a landslide in 1981. And uh, he got all of the officers together chief officers and uh, and assistant chief officers and uh, made a long speech. He was a very eloquent uh, speaker and he sort of led them up the garden path because they were all worried uh, about this new administration, as I say. And he talked about how local government had always been a partnership between the officers and uh, and elected members. And uh, they were all kind of nodding sagely and they were nudging, nudging each other to say, well, this is yeah, it's going to be OK, you know. Uh, and then he's finished off by saying his preparation was, well, I'm here to tell you today that the partnership is over. We're here mm -hmm. to govern and all of your delegated powers will be removed forthwith. And mm -hmm. they just couldn't do anything. I mean, they had no spending powers. Everything had to either go to committee or full council and they established these delegation uh, subcommittees. And um, it was a bit bureaucratic in some ways, but it, but it sent a signal that we're here to you know, represent the people that elected us. We're here as the Labour Party, you know, politicians, you know, we're not here just to kind of, you know, create an easy life for, for senior bureaucrats. So that was a, yeah, it was a really interesting um, story that, and, and I think that's a sort of approach that you need, but not just a local government, you need a central government as well, because very often you see the same sort of thing where the civil servants run rings around the ministers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, not very much gets done. You seen, must have seen Yes Minister, uh, yes, you know, that's uh, which, that's um, pretty much a true portrayal of uh, yes, 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 politics. absolutely, yeah. yeah, very much so, very well, much. Well, so. ninety-four anyway, sorry, we... countries use PR. Yeah, so that's I think mostly in Europe, Australian. I think it's in Australia, it's just the Senate that uses PR, but uh, there's a lots of arguments as to well, it allows the right, the real right wing. Uh, parties to to gain momentum yes it does but how do we you know like if if we allowed proportional if we change the system to proportional representation of one kind you know the signal single vote transfer or something then yes it does allow different voices to be heard so that can be a bad thing because it gives them legitimacy to well, I don't, I don't, to yeah, I don't really buy by the argument that that, that you know that, that we shouldn't do it because it might give uh, you know an opportunity for uh, the the far right to uh, gain some traction. It's incumbent on us then to stop that from happening. It's within our power to do that. People only but, turn to the far right in desperation. If we can, well, you know, give it. a message of hope. And, and a practical message of hope and, 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 and demonstrate how we can do things differently using solidarity, then there's no reason why the far right should thrive yeah. at all. I mean, don't forget, uh, I mean, whether you want to call UKIP far right, they were certainly, you know, bordering in that direction. Certainly some of the characters that they ended up uh, standing and indeed, indeed getting elected were certainly far right. But if you actually look at their vote in 2015 and you compare it to 2017, where Jeremy put forward, well, wasn't just Jeremy, obviously, but, you know, he, he spearheaded that, that, that sort of progressive socialist alternative. And it was a modest socialist alternative. I think we could have gone a damn sight further. That's what we were proposing. But it offered a real alternative. It offered people a real change, a real hope. And I know Labour didn't get over the line. But they got the biggest increase in vote share since 1945. And were yeah. it not for the saboteurs in the Parliamentary Labour Party and in the bureaucracy of the Labour Party who were and working the against the Labour media. victory, then we, well, obviously the media, we've always got those against us, but it was our own internal enemies, if you like, yeah. who were doing the bidding of uh, the, uh, the corporate capitalist class, uh, doing the bidding of the of the Zionist uh, uh, lobby too. Let's be honest about that as well, because it was Jeremy's foreign policy, his anti-imperialist foreign policy that that uh, yeah, concerned that was what they needed people. to stop. Uh, probably more than more than even his domestic uh, program. 
Uh, don't forget, it wasn't just the Zionist lobby that, that he was uh, taking on there. It was the military industrial complex because they make billions out of selling arms. They yeah. make billions out of instability, insecurity in uh, the world, particularly in the Middle East. And don't forget, uh, the, one of our client uh, nations that this country uh, sells arms to is Israel. I mean, yeah. over the last three or four years, we've still getting on for half a billion pounds of arms yeah. to Israel, which they're then using against the Palestinian people. I mean, it's an absolute scandal. And so obviously scandal. Jeremy was taken on that. But the point is, so they obviously couldn't let that stand and they did everything, as we know, in their power to, to prevent that. But I mean, you know, the difference between Jeremy being able to form an administration at that election uh, and, you know, ended up where, where we were, which actually deprived Theresa May of the majority, as we know, was a matter of a few thousand votes in, 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 in a number of constituencies. Yeah. I mean, if it, around the country, it was, it was that close. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it became very, very close. And then obviously things went pear-shaped thereafter. And as we all know, the without you know, rehearsing the, you know, well, that the, was another the story thing, about that. You know, we, we, I think we can be agree on the fact that um, it was uh, everybody protesting, everybody who does vote. I'm not talking about the people, how do we engage the people who don't vote? Let's not even go there, perhaps. But mm. of the people that voted, we think the greatest influence was um, a protest about Jeremy Corbyn having the whip removed. And in, mm. and in Hartlepool, I think it was, um, it was based on the fact that people believed that the uh, Labour that the Labour MP that was there before had been the one instituting and implementing these cuts, uh, mm. cuts to the hospitals, etc. So that was misinformation uh, and disinformation that, that caused that. But what do you think of, was the impact of BDS, boycott, divest and, and sanctions? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's some... Israel product yes indeed and, and and you know i'd love to see us doing more to promote that campaign obviously there's a lot of suppression on that and the the adoption of the uh, ihra the international holocaust remembrance alliances uh, uh, working examples of anti-semitism which is all about actually stopping criticism of israel and tony greenstein yeah. uh, came up with a great line saying that you don't need i mean basically anti-semitism is a very straightforward uh, concept you know it's it's hatred and discrimination against Jewish people because they're Jews. He said, you don't need 550 odd words or whatever many words there are to in the IHRA example. No. To, yeah, absolutely. Unless, he said, unless it's about stopping criticism of Israel. And of course, that's precisely what it is. And so yeah. I think the boycott, divestment and, uh, and sanctions uh, campaign, I, I, I mean, I think there's more that needs to be done on that. I think it had a bit of an impact in, in some parts of the, of the country, in some of the urban areas where there's a, you know, perhaps a greater awareness in, in, in Muslim communities about um, you know, the outrages of, of, of Israel uh, against the Palestinian uh, people. But this is a struggle uh, for all of us. I mean, Nelson Mandela himself has said, you know, our, our freedom is incomplete until we get you know, the, the, the liberation of the Palestinian people. And, uh, you know, we, you we, we have to stand in solidarity. On, do you think that had any impact in the local elections? Well, at I mean... Local I, level? It's hard to say. I mean, as I think I was saying, it, perhaps in at the margins in one or two areas. But I think mm. um, I think the awareness of BDS is not as strong as it should be no. in some in some of the uh, inner city urban areas. Uh, Maybe, but well, uh, a lot of but, people um, here were saying that um, it was it was uh, going against small businesses because uh, obviously the businesses the. The small businesses, I'm not talking about mm. corporations, but the small mm. businesses are the ones that are affected uh, by national uh, decisions, but mm. they take effect at a local level by the, the local company not being able to employ the 15 people that it employs or at least not being able to afford to pay them proper yeah, wages. BDS, BDS shouldn't stop uh, people from, uh, you know, uh, being but able to But they're equating it with that, aren't they? They're yes, indeed. And, it's, and, it's, and, that, and that's, and that's a, a, you know, a, mis, a misreading of it uh, and uh, yeah. a, a misrepresentation. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, BDS is about, you know, not, not, uh, not importing uh, uh, goods from uh, Israel. It's, uh, it's about obviously divesting from investment in, uh, in Israel and, you know, and encouraging uh, people to uh, obviously not well, buy... 
not buy goods that, that come from uh, Israel. And when uh, you and, look you know, at so. when you look in your local supermarket, how many um, uh, items are from Israel, and how could, how can you you know you can't <clears throat> did the local elections have any uh, impact? Uh, by explaining that to people, no, I, I don't think it did. No, no, I think no, no problem. No, no, no I absolutely, I don't think uh, th those sorts of issues really come into. I mean, they should do. I mean, there's some local authorities, you know, have taken a stand. Uh, and, but we need to do and more on about that. their I mean, pensions. Going back in their pensions. Well, just on just on the, on the BDS thing, you know, going back though, uh, if you think about it, to the days uh, when the campaign was ratcheting up against apartheid in South Africa, you know, local authorities did take a. You know, did did play a big role in in actually raising yeah. consciousness and 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 actually you know divesting, making their pension yeah. funds divest from investments in uh, in Israel, etc., or Israeli companies. Uh, so yeah, there are definitely there is definitely things that, that that can be done. But I think we need to do more to raise consciousness, to raise awareness about. Yeah, well, then, too much like, I think you, like you said, local councils played a big part in in people coming to knowledge of of the uh problems in south africa and, uh, and yes, the apartheid yeah. and, and then doing something practical about it lizzie as well that's the point you know making sure right. as i've said their pension funds and so on and you know that's divest right. and that they don't as a, as a local authority when they're when they're when they're um you know, uh, but none of that is happening in this instance. It's, no, it's no, well, well, very little of it. It seems mm. to be. I mean, I, I'm sure there are probably some local authorities who are taking a stand, but the IHRA has obviously had a chilling effect on the ability of local yeah, authorities. It's shut people to, up, hasn't it? Shut people yes, up across and, uh, the country. You know, we should never allow that to to happen, and we should always stand up, in my opinion, for for free speech. We've only got a few minutes left, uh, Lizzie. Have we got any other uh, questions coming in at all? Or? Uh, yeah, Gaz just, uh, oh, I think he just made a statement um, from Nat Sims about uh, about the Palestinian the problem. <clears throat> uh, the, you know, the, the mainstream media are talking about um, the Palestinians throwing rocks, which uh, yeah. got in return their uh, tower blocks bombed. Can you imagine that happening in, in Derby? I can't imagine it happening in Stroud, you know, where mm -hmm. how would you live through that, you know, and how could you, how would you even think about doing that to to somebody else in the in the next village, you know, or in the next? It's town? a war crime. When yes, the Israelis absolutely. launch airstrikes and bombardments against Gaza, they know that they're going to kill innocent children and, uh, and civilians because Gaza. Mm -hmm is well it's a massive uh, internment camp uh, yeah. but it's the third most populous strip of land anywhere on the planet and so when they yeah. fire missiles into that they into that name basically you know it's kind of very very densely populated area obviously as i was saying they know that they're going to kill innocent people but they don't yeah. care no i mean and so 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 the bombardment as you yeah. say it would be appalling a bombardment in derby or in stroud but it would be nothing it has nothing to what the palestinian people are having to endure because of it's so tightly, densely populated. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I think the Palestinians are rising up. And, you know, we should actually applaud them for, for, for that, not be criticising them. And what really irritates me is how the emphasis from the media is on the Palestinian reaction. Yes. They are perfectly entitled to resist, yeah. including armed resistance, the Geneva Convention, the additional yeah. protocol to the Geneva Convention passed, I think, in 1949. In, you know, enshrines that in international law. It is the Israelis that are in breach of international law. Not only are they in breach of international law, they're committing war crimes. Yeah. And they've been called out by the United Nations over this and this latest uh, outrage in East Jerusalem, forcing people uh, again, you know, out of those. But this has been the feature of Israel ever since it was created. Yeah. You know, it's it's been about, it's been created at the expense of the Palestinian people. It's like, you know, you or I, you talk about Stroud and Derby, you know, people coming up one day and saying, sorry, we want your ass, mate, clear off. Yeah, we're gonna, exactly. We're gonna live, we're, either we're gonna live it or we're gonna demolish it and, you know, build, build something. I mean, you know, yeah. these are people, the, you know, people that have got, you know, <laughs> ancestry, you know, <laughs> roots going back hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah. Palestinians yeah. who are being kicked out and, and have got no right to, to return. And yet somebody who, who is Jewish, who's never set foot 
in uh, Palestine or Israel has a right, a greater right, according yeah. to Israeli law, than the yeah. Palestinians who genuinely have uh, yeah. their uh, their roots there. I mean, it's, it's a terrible, it's a crime against humanity, what's going on. Absolutely disgusting. Well, this is uh, another question here. Yeah, Absolutely well, right. Palestinians need to need to fight back. Absolutely. BBC bias and pro-Israel propaganda is obscene. It certainly is. It yeah. certainly is. And what and it's had what gets me is it's had such a chilling effect on, on political discourse. And it's had an incredibly chilling effect inside the Labour Party. And one thing that really irritates me, I've got to say, Lizzie, is the useful idiots in yeah. the optics left who've gone along with this nonsense and have actually just facilitated the, the Zionist uh, lobby yeah. and they've facilitated the extremist Israeli regime who, to, you know, to commit war crimes. Yeah, Disgusting. while the government are corrupt and selling off our NHS and... Um, yes, you know, absolutely. Uh, and We've got all this emphasis on, on Labour's anti-Semitism when there's all, this, all, all yeah. these other issues, like you say, which are affecting ordinary working people in this country. Uh, you know, yeah. crap pensions, public services in meltdown, kids who can't get a job, kids who can't get a house, people in... Yeah insecure employment, precarious employment endemic throughout the land. And all these idiots were doing was focusing on, oh, an anti-Semitism crisis inside the <laughs> Labour Party and attacking long-standing anti-racists like myself, many yeah. of whom are themselves Jewish. I mean, my God, you couldn't make it up. No, you I mean, talk about up. useful idiots. Dear God, uh, history should judge them very harshly indeed and for so, the role and, that they played yeah, in, in actually and, and, destroying the Corbyn project. It's still rolling on, isn't it? Because we, yes. we stand now after the local elections, which were supposed to be about local issues, and we've got 2,345 Conservative councils now. Yeah. 1,345, yeah, yeah. so a 1,000 less Labour councils. Mm. You know, it's, it's you know, and... Why? How can you believe that um, these people's lives don't matter because they're in another country, yet your life doesn't matter here when, when the, the, this government are just removing soon? you If you fall ill soon, if you've got no insurance or you're not rich, you'll die. You know, you won't, get, you won't be able state. to get any any help it's state capture by by, by a hostile foreign uh, power and that's yeah. not me being a conspiracy theorist we saw that with the al jazeera documentary uh yeah. the the influence of the israeli lobby the zionist lobby uh yeah. in this country and elsewhere you know for that matter and uh well it's mostly america in here isn't it well indeed but i hope that the i hope that the terrible events which we're seeing unfolding mainly on on social media now yeah. will be a wake-up call will we'll raise consciousness and so you know the, the you know the, the 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 spin merchants won't be able to get away with the lies that they that they've told about the you know the israeli story for so long but no, we're about out of time uh, lizzie so i've uh, yeah we've we've ranted away there um i probably <laughs> ranted uh, more than i should have done and uh, perhaps didn't give you a, <laughs> enough air no, time no. this evening so apologies well, uh, for that uh, but you, um, you've been involved with politics a lot more. I've always been an activist. And I, I think that, you know, local elections, we need to educate ourselves and realise our potential. You know, everybody has such potential for change. If they only realised what they hold yeah. in their hands, you know, the, the power of that vote is actually yeah. extreme. But not just vote once every five years or every no. four years or every two years or whatever it is. No, every day you vote. You, when you get up in the morning, you make a decision to go and help your neighbour, don't you? So mm. that is a vote. That is, we should be, we, we should be equating that vote with that decision you make every day to be nice, to say hello to somebody and be polite, welcome welcome refugees you know yes I, I mean i think yeah. the human condition the natural human condition is to uh, our natural instinct is is to collaborate and cooperate and and yeah. uh, you know the the kind of capitalist system the neoliberal system kind of you know rails against that. Us. 
rails against that, and, and, it, and it does. It divide. You know, the old kind of you know colonial sort of mentality, uh, imperialist mentality. You know, divide, divide and rule. And uh, and we've got to cut, cut through that. But listen, we're out of time now. Thank you very much indeed, everybody, for watching. Next week we've got uh, yes, uh, Rod Driver. Yes. Good night. Uh, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, uh, Lizzie. For, uh, good night from her. It's good night from her. Good night from me, and good night from her. Uh, but let me just uh, say who, who we've got on next week. Uh, Rod Driver. He's going to we're going to have a, a new series of, of programs on. Resistance TV that we're, we're starting uh, next week. Uh, and Rod is going to be talking about how big companies rig the economy. We're going to have a series of discussions. So, Rod, if it's slightly different format, Rod will probably speak for 10 or 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll, he and I will have a conversation, and then we'll open it up for the viewers to uh, participate. It should be a really interesting uh, program next week. So, if you've got the time, uh, make a date in your diary uh, for next Wednesday at seven o'clock, and we'll see you then. Thanks for watching this evening and good night.